Chapter 2. A Bottom-Up Hierarchy Now listen to me. I shall give you counsel, and God be with you. You will be the people's representative before God, and you will bring the disputes of the people to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk, and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain. And you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. And let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. Exodus 18:19 through 23 Moses faced a problem. Everyone seemed to be suing everyone else, and they had only been out of Egypt a month. Slaves do not govern themselves well. These recent slaves could not settle their disputes, so they lined up in front of Moses' tent daily to get judgment. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, saw what was happening. He suggested a solution. First, serve as God's representative and an intermediary between God and the people. Second, teach them God's law so they will know what to do. They will learn to govern themselves. Third, establish an appeals court system with righteous men serving as judges. Let them take the easier cases, saving the hard ones for you to take before God. What was Jethro really saying? You are not God. You need help. Acknowledge your weakness and limitations. Share in the authority of being a judge. And you will not wear out these people, nor will they wear you out. In short, don't imitate Pharaoh, who thought of himself as a god. That is the way of destruction. Don't treat these people as slaves, even if they want to be slaves. Slavery is the way of destruction. God has delivered you out of Egypt. Don't go back to Egypt governmentally. Jethro recognized a basic fact of institutional life, the second point in the biblical covenant, that is, the necessity of hierarchy. There has to be a system of policy making and also a system of appeals. To what extent are policies set up at the top and at the bottom? Where does primary institutional sovereignty lie, at the top or the bottom? The question facing Moses was this. Which kind of human hierarchical authority structure is required by God, top-down or bottom-up? Egypt's bureaucratic theocracy, the Great Pyramid of Cheops, or Khufu, at Giza near Cairo, is the only surviving edifice of the seven wonders of the world. The Great Pyramid is a solid mass of limestone blocks, covering 13 acres. It contains about 2.3 million blocks that weigh, on average, two tons and a half each. If laid end to end, they would stretch two-thirds of the way around the earth at the equator. In its original state, it was 768 feet square and 482 feet high. The Great Pyramid and the smaller pyramids are lasting testimony to the building prowess of the Egyptians. They are also evidence of the religion and political theory of Egypt. The very shape of the pyramids tells us something about Egypt's political philosophy. Egypt was a top-down system of total control. The pharaohs believed in political centralization. All of life was controlled through the pharaoh's decree. Who built the pyramids for the pharaohs? Why, the people. Voluntarily? Certainly not. The pyramids were the classic public works program of all time. Very expensive, but without any long-term benefits, except for the rulers trying to make a name for themselves.
The pharaohs were not incorporating a new idea in the development of their political philosophy. All those who reject the true God want to be like God, Genesis 3.5. God is the controller of all things. Rebels against God want to control, to manipulate, and eventually to enslave. This is the dream of all empire builders. Given enough power and authority, these power merchants believe that all of life can be controlled by man and for man. Pyramid Power the Tower of Babel, the first tower of pow power, is a good place to start in our understanding of the nature of political power. These early empire builders wanted to make a name for themselves, Genesis 11.4, to supplant the government of God and replace it with a centralized bureaucratic government where all of life would be controlled from Babel. Making a name for themselves, like naming in general, was an act of sovereignty and power. It was to declare and claim authority over the things that it named. See Genesis 2, 20, 23, Daniel 1, 6, and 7. In Genesis 11, we find the purposed overthrow of God's order and the elimination of God's name. Those involved in the conspiracy, see Psalms 2, were humanistic, man-centered kingdom builders who wanted to consolidate their efforts and establish Babel as a center of power and authority. The individual and the diverse makeup of society would be eliminated. The state would dominate society. The symbol of their centralized power was the tower, a representation of Satan's theology. I will ascend to heaven, I will rise my throne above the stars, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High. Isaiah 14, 13-14 God's government is the only centralized government. He is the planner. The builders of the tower wanted to be what God is. The tower represented the seat of power, God's throne. Those who built the tower wanted to rise above the stars of God. In scripture, stars often represent rulers and or king kingdoms. Judges 5.20, Daniel 8.10, Matthew 24.29, Mark 13.25. According to Babylonian theology, the gods made their throne and counseled together in the far north. In effect, the dictators in Babel wanted to rule the world. Their centralized kingdom would be located in the land of Shinar. Man, through the agency of status power, would become God as he ascended the tower of power, grabbing for himself more and more control over God's created order, centralizing his domain and subjecting the people to do his bidding. Decentralization. In contrast to the pyramid system, God's system of political power is decentralized. No single institution has been established by God to bring about social order. Freedom and order are realized when men throughout a society strive to follow the blueprint God has given for the reconstruction of all family, ecclesiastical, social, and political institutions. For example, Genesis 10 is a list of many families that represent a decentralized social order. The builders of Babel wanted to eliminate the many governments and consolidate family, ecclesiastical, and political power in the one state. God would have none of it. God scattered them from abroad, from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city, Genesis 11:8. This language is very similar to what God says of anyone who works to substitute God's blueprint for an orderly society with man's blueprint for tyranny and oppression. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit, Isaiah 14:15. All the kingdoms in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, a reflection of the Tower of Power, were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found, Daniel 2:35. 
Man's tower of power will be thrust down, crushed, and scattered. God's kingdom, God's government, will become a great mountain that will fill the whole earth and will itself endure forever, Daniel 2.35. While centralized political regimes will be scattered, the government of Jesus Christ will have no end, Isaiah 9.7. Bearing in mind that God ordains authority, what should a biblical political structure look like? Should the pyramid and the tower be our example? Should each individual be sovereign, every man doing what he believes is right in his own eyes, Judges 17.6? Solving the problem of who ought to rule and how much power they ought to have is a difficult one. Government under God. God has the ultimate authority to govern, Jeremiah 27.5, Proverbs 8.15.21.1, Matthew 28.18. If we were to make a diagram, it would be a hierarchy that looks something like this. God independent and unlimited governing authority, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Man and human institutions, dependent and limited governing authority, Exodus 18 and Romans 13, 1 through 4. Then beneath that, there's three other uh, sections. First, family, self-governing individuals under God. Church, self-governing individuals under God. Civil, all levels, self-governing individuals under God. Parents exercise authority over their children, employers over employees, teachers over students, elders or bishops over the church members, and civil servants over citizens. In all these cases, authority is backed up by penalties. A parent may spank a child, an employer may fire an employee, a teacher may fail a student, the church may excommunicate a member, and civil representatives may face force a lawbreaker to pay restitution for a crime. The biblical pattern of authority establishes that God is our ultimate authority, and he alone establishes earthly governments. In Romans 13.1, we are instructed to subject ourselves to the governing authorities, each of which is established by God. Notice that there are multiple authorities. We owe no single earthly authority our total allegiance. Those hostile to the Christian faith despise such biblically mandated governmental pluralism, a system that maintains there is one law and one lawgiver, but a plurality of jurisdictions or authorities to which we must all submit. Such a system of government cannot be easily controlled. No one jurisdiction can claim the right to rule over all other established authorities. All are ultimately responsible to God for legitimacy. No authority can claim independence from the triune God. God's design in establishing multiple authorities means that no one government should cancel the authority of any other government. Ideally, all legitimate governments cooperate. They exist in the world by God's design. Each exercises real power in its limited sphere of operation. The breakdown of authority comes when any authority abdicates legitimacy and responsibility and turns rulership over to a greater human authority hoping for security. In Old Testament Israel, family, church, and state were meant to operate under the jurisdiction of the one true king. As sin prevailed and judgment came, the people turned to the state for security. They abandoned personal, family, and ecclesiastical authority and re responsibility and looked to the state for salvation. They rejected God as king over them and chose a king to judge them like all the nations, 1 Samuel 8.5. The people were looking for salvation. They were looking for someone to guarantee them their in inheritance. God was rejected. The state became the God of the people. 
jurisdictional diversity. When talking about authority and power as they relate to government, two extremes need to be avoided. The first extreme to be avoided is the belief that the individual is a law unto himself, responsible only to himself. This extreme attempts to counter its opposite, that the many are ultimate. If the many were ultimate, anarchy would result. Many individuals could claim authority on their own terms. Second, no one institution, group, nation, or society is ultimate. This opposes the idea that the one should be ultimate. If the one becomes ultimate, an institution, group, church, nation, or society can claim to be the final arbiter of truth and power, putting all diversity under its rule. Only God is ultimate. The one and the many are governed by God's law in all things. Thus, the one and the many in society are balanced under the one authority of the triune God. Many delegated governments decentralize the centers of power. Corruption and tyranny are heightened when authority structures from the individual to civil governments at the local, county, and state levels break down, and all authority then rests in one institution, usually the state. Reclamation of multiple authorities comes about when the individual assumes his responsibilities under God and thoroughly transforms his family and working with other like-minded individuals transforms his school, church, vocation, local community, state, and national civil government. We cannot expect diverse authority structures to arise on their own, however. Regeneration, the basis of all godly authority, begins with God working in the individual, and it extends to every facet of life. Looking for relief. A word of caution is needed here. Too often Christians turn to the state for relief because of the failure of individuals, families, businesses, schools, churches, and civil governments at the local, county, and state levels. The state has limited jurisdiction and competence and is not man's answer for sin except in temporal punishment for criminal acts. In fact, as recent history so well proves, the state frequently compounds the ills of society, the economy, education, welfare, the courts, when it acts outside the area of its proper authority and jurisdiction. It has been established that all authority belongs to God, and that all earthly authority, whether family, church, or state, is delegated and limited. The delegation of authority is purposely limited. This hampers a sinful tendency towards tyranny of any one governmental institution. For example, the authority of the state is not the same as that of a father who exercises authority as the head of his household. While each government should follow guidelines laid down in scripture for its particular area of jurisdiction, not all biblical law apply to each in the same way. For example, the symbol of family authority is the rod, Proverbs 13.24, while the symbol of church authority is the keys, Matthew 16.19, and for the state, the sword, Romans 13.4. Laws found in scripture give parents the authority to exercise discipline over a child with a rod, but not over an erring brother in Christ. This authority belongs to the church. The church can discipline a member but cannot use the rod or wield a sword as punishment. The church has the power of the keys to bar unrepentant members from the Lord's table and finally to excommunicate them if they remain unrepentant. Matthew 18, 15-20 the state has authority to wield the sword as punishment for capital offenses, but it cannot use its authority to influence the inner workings of the family or church. These institutions are outside its jurisdiction. If, however, a family member commits a crime, the state may have jurisdiction unless voluntary restitution is made. These various institutions must often defer judgment to the more legitimate area of jurisdiction. 
Jesus' words in Luke 20, 22 through 25 established the authority of the state and also set the boundaries for its civil jurisdiction. Men asked him, Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose head an inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When the church disciplines a local church member over an ecclesiastical matter, the state cannot rightly be approached to use its authority to override what the disciplined member might consider an unfair decision. Even the jurisdictional boundaries of ecclesiastical bodies must be respected. Though this is difficult in a multi-denominational context, when one church disciplines a member and excommunicates that member, it is the duty of other ecclesiastical bodies to grant at least initial respect to the jurisdiction of the disciplining ecclesiastical court. Jurisdictional authority can only be understood when the biblical chain of authority is considered. This follows the theology of headship. Paul writes, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.3. In Ephesians 5.23, Jesus is said to be the head of the church. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is designated the ruler of the kings of the earth, Revelation 1.5, Psalm 72. In all these cases, we find everyone responsible to someone else, and ultimately all are responsible to God. Even Jesus, in his humanity as a son of God, is under the headship of his father, Luke 22:42. The Biblical Answer, A Constitutional Republic We find in Exodus 18 a description of what a godly civil government should look like. Moses, as God's unique representative, appointed righteous judges over the people in a hierarchy. But this hierarchy was not a top-down pyramid. Rather, it was a bottom-up appeals court. God had given them his law, and he has given to us. And the people were to take their disputes to God-fearing men, who would render honest judgment. If a case was too hard for them, then the judges would refer it to the next level upward. This leaves individuals free to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2.12. Each person is to be self-governed under God. In ancient Israel, God required his law to be read to the whole nation every seventh year, Deuteronomy 31.10-13, which revealed the terms of the civil righteousness to everyone. Each person was therefore made responsible for his actions. This is God's system of self-government. Only when people disagree about the legal boundaries between them do they call in the judges. Thus, there is liberty at the individual level, but there is also a court system for achieving peaceful settlements of disputes. This is the same sort of appeal system that Christ established for the settling of disputes in the church, Matthew 18, 15-20. God therefore provided a hierarchy for them, but a bottom-up hierarchy. He gave them his law, Exodus 18.20. He made righteousness the fundamental principle of holding office. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetedness, and place such over them as to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Verse 21. The principle of biblical representative government stems from this Old Testament innovation. The primary issue is ethics righteousness. Secondary to this is competence, but always secondary. Paul said that it is better to be judged by the least competent person in the church than by an anti-Christian civil judge. 1 Corinthians 6.4. 
The representative is under God and sworn to uphold God's law. He represents men before God and God before men. He speaks in God's name. This is the meaning of all government. Someone on earth must speak in God's name. The biblical test of a speaker's authority is his lawful ordination. The test of his continuing right to ordination is his faithfulness to God's word. If he fails this test, he is to be removed from office by the people he serves and judges. All authority is God-given. God grants original authority to the ruled to choose who will rule over them. He therefore also grants authority to the rulers. Ultimately, if people refuse to obey the rulers, they can topple any system of government. The people are sovereign, but they are not originally sovereign. Only God possesses original sovereignty. A constitutional republic best reflects this dual grant of civil authority from God to men in general and to specific rulers. Summary The second basic principle in the biblical blueprint for government is that God has established a hierarchical yet decentralized political order where neither the individual nor the group is ultimately sovereign. There are checks and balances in order to preserve liberty, authority, and stability. No single human institution or branch of civil government is absolutely sovereign. Only God is absolutely sovereign. Authority and power to govern are delegated by God. Thus, those who govern are obligated to govern according to God's law. For they are ministers of God, Romans 13, 1-7. There really is no other option. When men cease to believe in God, they do not end up believing in nothing. But what is worse, they believe in anything, however absurd or sinister. They substitute another God to fill the vacuum. Some political system will prevail, and it will be directed by some God. Throughout history, as a nation moves away from God as governor of all of life, the state claims for itself more and more power, all competing governments are removed, usually by force, always by intimidation, and in time the people will suffer under the weight of unbridled oppression. Was What was once a promise of security by those centralizing authority and power become a choking tyranny? The oppression continues and turns the people either into slaves or rebels. The solution to the plight of tyranny is not to place authority and power in the hands of the individual, nor is the solution found in the ruling abilities of a self-appointed elite. Centralization was the prevailing political structure in the history of the world. Egypt used the people to construct a society using the energies of the masses to implement the goals of the state governed by the pharaohs. The pyramid, the tower, and Nebuchadnezzar's Colossus are visible manifestations of centralized political planning. God works to disestablish centralized political regimes. His blueprint for life is decentralization, with the individual working and having freedom in the family, church, business, and civil government. No one man or institution is to rule over all other aspects of society. The way to adjust order is not found in anarchy, where man is a law unto himself, in socialism, where the state owns the means of production, in an oligarchy, where a planning elite rules and overrules, or in a democracy, where the people can change the direction of a nation by whim and fancy. God has established a decentralized society, best described as a constitutional republic, where the best are elected to office and yet are still responsible to the vote of the people. In summary, 1. Slaves do not govern themselves well. 2. The civil government is an intermediary between God and man. 3. The civil government is to announce the laws of God. 
4. The ruler is to appoint righteous judges to handle the less difficult cases. 5. This means that God wants men to establish governmental hierarchies, point 2 of the biblical covenant. 6. Egypt's hierarchy was bureaucratic, top-down. 7. This was reflected in the design of the pyramids. 8. The Tower of Babel was another pyramid of power. 9. Only God centralizes power. 10. Decentralization is what God requires for man's governments. 11. God scattered those who built the Tower of Babel. 12. Man's governments, plural, are always hierarchical. 13. The Bible teaches pluralism, plural governments under God's unified law. 14. Governments possess multiple jurisdictions. 15. Too often, Christians turn to the state for answers. 16. The biblical solution for civil government is a constitutional republic. 17. This involves representative government. 18. Rulers are supposed to represent men to God and God to men. 19. Such authority is delegated originally to specific men from God and secondarily from the ruled, who also possess God-given authority to the rulers.